Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be talking with newly ordained Bishop Toops, David Toops from Beaumont, Texas. Yeah, we're going to get the chance to ask His Excellency some questions that I'm sure you have about the life of a bishop. Like, how does one become a bishop? What is the theological understanding of the role of the bishop? And so much more. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Bishop Toops was the Dean of Men at St. Vincent de Paul Regional Seminary when Ryan Delacrosse came to his last year. That's what I'm excited about finding out. Oh, I want to hear this story. And, and not to mention, I was also the rector of the same seminary when Father Pagano went through his last year. Bishop David Toops, uh, it's good to see your face. Um, I, I'm really excited about this episode because I, I was talking to my daughter about it, and she had a hundred questions for me to, to ask you. So be ready for that. Um, I can't wait. I had the privilege of visiting the Delacrosse House. What was it last weekend? That was awesome. That was uh, a week ago, Sunday. Yeah, yeah, we had a really good time catching up. I haven't seen you in so long. When you were named the Bishop of Beaumont and I found out, I'm like, we've got to reconnect. So it was, it was time. It was, it was beautiful time. and wonderful chaos in the Delacrosse household. And oh. on a priority level, you know, pastoral visitation of the Bishop, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive that you put the Delacrosse house so high. Well, <laughs> I, I just know how great the needs were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she completed my sentences already. <laughs> so for our, for our listeners who might not be aware, uh, Beaumont, Texas is northeast of Houston, basically between Houston and the Louisiana border, like Port Charles, that area. Um, and His Excellency has recently been, has become the Bishop of Beaumont. So number one, congratulations from all of yep. us. Um, it's really an honor to have you on. Uh, we really appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully we get a chance to ask you some really interesting questions about your role as a bishop and then also you can spill the beans a little bit on what these two are like in the seminary because we've <laughs> yeah, talked about wait. that a lot and now we have a verifiable and trusted source to tell us the truth that's another episode by the way <laughs> <laughs> well no. the diocese of beaumont just to contextualize is the nine counties of southeast texas and so you can't get into texas on i-10 without driving right through beaumont so my people from Louisiana, which is where I originally grew up, uh, I'm just right across the border from Louisiana, and I'm an hour and a half from Houston. So that gives you a little uh, mid-ground there. Now, Bishop Toops, you know, reclaiming the priestly character, you know, is, is something that you worked on in your dissertation. Um, I've got to share as one who has had perspective of your priesthood from the time I was at Ave Maria University, one mm -hmm. of our sponsors, from the time I met you at Ave Maria University, all the way through my, my early formation into the major seminary, you were always an example of priestly character, always expressed, you know, this kind of fullness within you of, of priestly zeal. But, you know, we know in Catholic teaching that the fullness of the priesthood resides with the bishop. In your experience from what you've extensively studied and put together in a beautiful manuscript to now experiencing it firsthand as a priest, 
then becoming a bishop. What has that transition been like for you, and how how would you articulate that? Boy, it's a it's a great question. Uh, you're referring to to the book "Reclaiming Our Priestly Character," uh, which was part of my doctoral dissertation and and really lived out as a seminary professor and rector of the seminary, handing that on to our men in, in formation. Becoming the fullness of the priesthood as a bishop, uh, obviously we call it the fullness because then all of the sacraments can be dispensed by the bishop. So a, a priest needs the permission of the bishop to confirm, yet he can confirm. But a priest cannot confer holy orders, cannot ordain uh, priests or bishops for that matter, where the bishop receives the fullness of that sacramental grace to transmit the office of priesthood and episcopacy for the pep, for the uh, perpetuation of the church. That's, uh, you know, the apostolic office, the line of apostles given. So I have to tell you, it's an incredible uh, privilege, honor, uh, humbling reality to realize God has called me to uh, the office of apostle for this local church. The name Bishop, we get from the Greek episkopos, episkopoi, which means overseer. So the bishop is the overseer of a particular region of the church, and we call those regions dioceses. So I have been entrusted to be the vicar of Christ, uh, not just as, as Pope Francis referred to as vicar of Christ, as, as bishop of Rome. The Second Vatican Council actually said bishops are not branch managers for the pope. They're actually the vicar of Christ for their particular mm portion of the church. And that's, a, that's an incredibly uh, daunting, humbling, uh, in some ways energizing reality that the Lord has called me to. So he's entrusted me to be called the overseer, the episcopoi, the shepherd, which is why the bishop carries that wonderful staff, that shepherd's staff uh, in liturgy uh, for Southeast Texas. Now, one of the things that has been a very interesting, uh, that I've reflected a lot upon in the rite of ordination for the bishop, which I, I just, Father Rich, as you prayed and prepared for diaconate and priesthood, you pray through the rite and you reflect on the words before they're actually prayed over you. So for me, the same, preparing for Episcopal ordination, the key line and the line that all the bishops can celebrating, not only was Cardinal DiNardo praying this prayer, but at this point, all the other bishops, there's only a very short section when they all join in the prayer of the consecration of the bishop. Mm. And the focus, because we've already received the sacramental grace to confect the Eucharist as priests, to absolve sins, to anoint, etc. The spirit of governance that the Lord may give me as his new apostle, the spirit of governance, which makes perfect sense if my job is to be the overseer, he wants to fill me with the superabundance of this new grace. And I have to tell you, as a new bishop called to lead a diocese in the middle of a global pandemic and financial recession and two hurricanes my first month I got here, I have to tell you, he has given me this grace. Mm. Felt it experientially, spiritually uh, in my life. And I see it in, in the fruitfulness of the ministry, um, again, I'm just a baby bishop and it's all new, uh, but he's doing things beyond what Dave Toops could normally do. I mean, it's been quite amazing to receive this grace at ordination and to allow it to be lived in my life. 
Yeah, Praise God. God. It's uh, it's you're 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 the overseer of the grace of God in this diocese, you know, and you're in that experience of governing the union that you have with Him there. Uh, it's it's almost like watching something beautiful as well, you know, mm-hmm. watching God uh, act in and through this this diocese um, as a leader spiritually has got to be pretty exciting, you know. You know what? One of the things I have so enjoyed. I've already made uh, in my three months, in fact, today is the, what, the 23rd? I don't know when we'll air, but today's the 23rd and, of November. And I was ordained ex- three months ago uh, as of the 21st of August. And mm-hmm. I just finished my 35th parish visitation. Uh, <laughs> wow. To my parishes and doing listening sessions, sharing mm-hmm. a meal with the priests. By December 15th, I will have completed all of my parishes and missions. And I have loved every minute of it, being with the people of God again. I, I yeah. is, a, is a beautifully small diocese. We're 80,000 Catholics. And to be really a parish priest, to be a priest to my priests, mm-hmm. first job. Because if I take care of my priests, then they're going to take care of the people. And right. so I see that as my number one priority. But I also want to be there and available to the people of God, even in the middle of global pandemic. And so... Uh, these visitations have been quite wonderful. That's great. Hey, so let's talk about a couple things here. One, um, how, how you become a bishop. Now, I, I know there's several different paths, uh, obviously, to become a bishop. Uh, the the unique ministry that you served in the seminary, um, serving men like Father Rich and myself, who were discerning the priesthood for years. Um, does that position you or at least uh, nurture you spiritually as a priest to become a bishop because you're involved with the seminary and the development of priests? Does that kind of put you on a list that, you know, somebody else wouldn't be on because of that experience? Well, it, 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 it may or it may not. Okay. <laughs> Very clear, great answer. I mean, you look at the history of our seminary in Florida, St. Vincent de Paul, uh, I think I was the, what, the eighth or the ninth rector, and only two of us, Bishop Estevez, where Father Rich is, and myself, uh, have become bishops. So it doesn't mean because you're a rector of a major seminary, you become a bishop. However, saying that, I can see now, as a bishop, how perfectly suited that was preparing me mm-hmm. to govern a diocese. Uh, to run a, a, a what I call a mini presbyterate, you know, I had 14 priests on faculty. When my my buddy Bishop Ed Burns was the bishop of Juneau, Alaska, he had nine priests in his diocese. So I used to kid with him that my presbyterate, as the rector, <laughs> than his. So you learn how to work and to govern a group of priests, how to shepherd them. Uh, you learn how to form young men preparing for priesthood. You learn how to work on a much larger level than a parish level. Uh, you know, and in a sense, my, my parish was southeastern United States because all of Florida and Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina, we had men from all of those regions. So I'm working with bishops and with pastors and with vocation directors. So the experience really did. And in hindsight, I can see how well it prepared me uh, to, to be a bishop and to, to work with my brother bishops, even on this regional level now in, in Texas. Now, now that you're a bishop, can you, do you have to be ordained by a cardinal or 
can another bishop ordain another bishop? Uh, how does that work? Good. Any bishop, and, and in fact, the tradition, the history is that three bishops uh, need to ordain to consecrate a new bishop. And that number three is really all about making sure that some bishop doesn't go rogue. It could be validly done with one bishop, but canonically you need three because to get three people to agree to do something that they shouldn't be doing is a lot harder than to get one to do it. So the idea is the church, especially think about the Middle Ages, like you need a a papal mandate. My letter was read uh, at my ordination directly from Pope Francis appointing me as bishop. So three bishops consecrate one bishop for the sake of harmony and continuity and unity with the church. Now, in my case, I have been brought into the, 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 the region or the province of the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. So the, the provincial or the metropolitan archbishop is your bishop, Ryan, in Galveston, Houston, Cardinal DiNardo. So it's most appropriate that the metropolitan archbishop, the highest ranking prelate in a region, would be the principal consecrator, the principal ordaining prelate. And then the one getting ordained gets to pick two others uh, to bring in. So it was appropriate that my predecessor, Bishop Guillory, who had been here for 20 years uh, and and remains with us here in the diocese as the bishop emeritus, as a retired bishop, it was appropriate that he would be one of them again for the sake of continuity and then my my dear friend who i just alluded to a second ago bishop burns when he was bishop of juno uh i think what three or four years ago was made the bishop of dallas texas so he went from i i think fifteen thousand catholics in the diocese of juno juno to 1.5 million catholics in the Diocese of Dallas. Bishop Burns and I both worked together in Washington, D.C. And so, again, here I am. I I appear in Texas. We go way back, and and it was very appropriate to invite him to be the other consecrating bishop. But there were a number of bishops there, but the three primary consecrators were those. I wish Bishop Lessard would have been able to attend. That would have been so beautiful. No doubt about it. He's alluding to a retired bishop who lived with us for 20 years at the seminary where I was rector and it was very influential in all of our lives. And oh, I know he was rejoicing in heaven. He was yeah. so influential in my journey and, and, and mentored me. I was his gardener and, and spent a lot of time with, with Bishop yes. and, and Christmas, Bishop, Christmas decorator. Oh, and, and that's right. And Christmas decorating surprise. We, we completely decorated his whole house. And um, when Bishop Lassard, everywhere, <laughs> when Bishop Lassard passed away, um, Bishop Toops passed on his rosary that I remember him having in his chapel that he's had for a, a greater amount of his life. And I pray with that rosary every single week and especially in the confessional on the weekend here at my parish. Uh, so I really want to just express from my heart, thank you so much for, for passing that on to me. I cherish it. Praise God. Yeah. All right. No, so no, Ryan, Bishop, questions. I got a bunch. I want to give you sure. a chance to ask. So how did you actually find out that you were going to become, be consecrated as a bishop? Who told you, 
how did did you hear anything about it, or is it just a letter like, "Hey, you're a bishop now"? What? <laughs> what how, how's that process? <laughs> Surprise! Yeah. So, for for people that may not know some of the, this terminology, the, every country has an apostolic nuncio, basically the papal representative or the papal diplomat to a particular country. In our case, that's Archbishop Christophe Pierre who works in Washington, D.C. at what we call the nunciature. The nunciature is where the nuncio, and we get the word nuncio meaning announcement, nuncio, announcement. He's the announcer. Uh, it's his job, literally, to prepare files on individuals in the United States, to present them to the Holy Father, to the Congregation for Bishops, to say these men uh, are worthy candidates of the office of bishop. The Holy Father and the Congregation of Bishops discern that, the Holy Father makes an ultimate decision. It goes back to the nuncio in whatever country it's going to. And then the nuncio picks up the phone and makes a phone call. So we had just completed, as all of us struggled through the first four months of the coronavirus, I was running the major seminary. And uh, I, I do claim this, gentlemen, you, you may or may not be able to, you know, you may or may not believe it, but I'm sticking by it. At one point last semester, I was running the largest Catholic institution in the world. How about that? Because everything in the world had closed down and we made the <laughs> We were establishing the bubble around the seminary and 100 men and plus the faculty, the resident priests, we stayed in place. And at that point, we were the largest seminary left open, which was oh, wow. Catholic institution in the world left open. Parishes were closed. Everything was closed. So... It's really because I was running the largest Catholic institution. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing to do with it. is just pouring out. Of right. Me. Yes, I know. I know. I know. Uh, so we had just finished really a very difficult, you know, all of us struggling, all of us, all of us, listeners, all of us struggling through these early days of the coronavirus. We finally got to leave the bubble because the men graduated and went off to summer assignments. So I had just driven home to my, my home diocese of St. Petersburg, spent a week with family and friends. It was just so wonderful to be off of the seminary campus and, and yeah. back home. So I'm driving back after my week off to the seminary to start summer activities and getting things organized for the new year. And I'm in Bartow, Florida, crossing the state on 60. And my phone rings, and it's a 202 area code, which is Washington, D.C. I worked in Washington, so I'm familiar with the area code. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Who is calling me? Answer the phone. Yes, Monsignor Dupes. I said, yes. He says, this is, this is Archbishop Pierre. You may not know me. I said, Archbishop Pierre. <laughs> Of course I know you. You're the apostolic nuncio. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember, I drove you from Miami to Boynton Beach about a year and a half ago. He said, oh, yes, yes, of course. I <laughs> if you remember me, Archbishop, I remember you. Trust me. So he starts chatting me up. We're having a nice little conversation. How did the semester go? And I'm like, he's not just calling me for a social. You're either in trouble or he's about to name you a bishop. In either way, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, Arch, Archbishop, is there something I can help you with? And he says, yes. He says, the Holy Father, he has named you the sixth bishop of Beaumont. And uh, Monsignor, are you there? I said, yes. I'm <laughs> processing what you said. I said, 
Is it Beaumont? It's in Texas. It's in Texas. I said, yes, no, I understand. I know where Beaumont is. He says, do you accept? And I said, I said, Archbishop, I said, I said, I'm, I'm humbled. I'm honored. I, I said, I'd like to talk to my spiritual director and, and just bring this before the Lord and, and surrender this request to, to him and, and, and discern this. He says, he says, oh, he says, there's nothing to discern. He said, you may talk to your spiritual director, but what is your answer now? <laughs> he says there is no impediment no and i said i said no thanks be to god there's not an impediment he says well then what is your answer now a little back story it was june the first of this year which was the day after pentecost the day after pentecost on the liturgical calendar is the feast of mary mother of the church and i had just been in my family's house in, in saint petersburg and my sister in minnesota and I had just Zoomed mass before I got in my car to drive back to the seminary. You know, we're still in, in church lockdowns. And so I set up my iPhone and we Zoomed mass. And during the homily, we, we, just the two of us, we were talking about, you know, Mary's yes. And Mary always said yes. And, you know, here's the nuncio pushing me going, what's your answer? What, tell me what you say. What, what, you cannot turn down the Holy Father. I said, well, Archbishop, I said, it's Our Lady's Feast, Mary, Mother of the Church. Mary said yes. Beautiful. And so here, here I am. I, I say yes. Now, what does any of this mean, Archbishop? And what happened? Oh, no, no, no problem. He says, we will talk all the details. I'm like, no, I got a lot of questions now. <laughs> uh, and my very next phone call after we hung up was Bishop Curtis Guillory uh, of the Diocese of Beaumont, who was retiring uh, at 77, uh, and his wonderful Southern hospitality uh, warmed my heart. And so as we're talking in this very first conversation, I said, I said, Bishop, I said, my, my dear mother's life's motto was Romans 8, 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for the, we're talking about the details of the coronavirus and this challenging times. And I just said, I know God is in this. He, he works through all things. And he says, well, wait a minute, David, what scripture did you just say? I said, Romans 8, 28. He says, well, well, that's my Episcopal motto. Oh, wow. I was blown. Well, for those who don't know, every bishop takes a scriptural phrase or a motto that really becomes kind of his, uh, his again, his life scripture that, that he, he yeah. grounds his ministry in. I had never heard of any bishop with Romans 8.28 as their Episcopal motto. And, and that this has been my life since the moment I could read. It's probably the first scripture that's on my parents' refrigerator. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a great spiritual consolation at this moment, confirming yeah. in my heart what the Holy Father had invited me to do. Uh, and so I, I did something very unusual. I, I talked to Bishop Guillory a number of days later, and I said, Bishop, with your permission, I'd like to keep your Episcopal motto as my own. I said, I've never heard of a bishop doing this, keeping the, his predecessor's motto. I said, but I think it's a great sign of continuity for our diocese, and certainly uh, a great sign from God uh, of his presence here in the midst yeah. of all. Romans 8.28, uh, for more than 20 years, has been the Episcopal motto of the Diocese of Beaumont. For those who love God, all things work together for the good. So so it sounds like you really, it sounds like the, there are these conversations going on with the nuncio and the files and everything that most priests are really not aware of. Is that conferred through other bishops how does that 
list because it sounds like you were drafted to play for somebody, but you didn't know you were in the draft. <laughs> that's exactly, that's a great way to describe it. It's a great way to describe it. So uh, confidential letters go out. And, and I don't know if, if, if Father Rich has ever received one as a priest. If he has, he can't talk about it because it's <laughs> under the pontifical seal. But you get these miscellaneous, and as rector of a seminary, uh, certainly I've received them over the course of time. And it's yeah. a letter from the, the, the office. You open it up confidential top secret under pontifical seal must be eaten and destroyed after reading (laughs) self-destruct in 10 seconds, all of that. And it's, it'll say, uh, you know, you are being, you have been identified as someone who knows uh, father Richard Smith and please answer the following questions regarding his, um, his, his freedom, his qualifications to be considered for the office of bishop. And it's and it's two pages of questions and, you know, you type it up and then you destroy the file and you send it to the nuncio. And then that's compiled, you know, from priests, from bishops, from lay people that have worked with that particular priest. So I don't know when this was done on me or how it was done. Right. Uh, but at some point it was done and my name was sitting in a file for... Uh, priests that were available uh, that had been checked off to be yeah and when when Beaumont came open I have I can only imagine I have Louisiana roots even though I'm a priest of St. Petersburg my family moved to Clearwater when I was a junior in high school I grew up in South Louisiana well for those again that don't know the geography of Southeast Texas um, 90% of our Catholics all have Louisiana roots we're just right across the border uh, you know, Texas is obviously would be considered more of a Bible Belt region. So our Catholics all have Louisiana roots, even if it's three or four generations ago. Cajuns are very proud of their roots. So uh, the Holy Father chose a priest with, with, again, like my people, Louisiana roots. That's awesome. Yeah. So then, from June the 1st until June the 9th, I'm under pontifical secret, except I did get on record. I said, can I talk to my spiritual director? Uh-huh, aha, uh-huh. uh-huh. So <laughs> I at least could talk about it. Um, but it's, it's, your family doesn't know, your friends don't know, anything is happening until all of a sudden I appear in Beaumont on June the 9th, and everybody's like, what the heck is going on? Uh, I appear at a press conference on June, actually, because the Rome, Rome news was announced at noon in Rome, which was 5 a.m. Beaumont time, I had prepared out-of-office emails uh, because my, let's say, my press conference wasn't until 10. The announcement actually comes early, early in the morning from Rome that I've been made bishop. So I had an out-of-office email and emails ready to send to all of my friends and family and priest friends and and whatnot to be sent out at 5 a.m. So uh, I woke up at 4.45 to go pray morning prayer to say, boy, once this day starts, it ain't going to stop. So... Uh, all of that went out at 5 a.m. as soon as the Vatican news went out. And so friends and family were alerted to a 10 a.m. press conference in Beaumont, Texas. That's hard to keep under a lid personally, especially, oh, especially with all the grace and the intimacy that you had with, you know, the, the motto and, yeah. and I mean, and your mother and, yeah. and Mary. And mind you, mind you I'm sitting in Boynton Beach running a seminary at that time. Yeah, yeah. Well, and making, and that, in I'm that interim... Making, in that interim period, Bishop, I mean, that, that's that got to be a wonderful catalyst 
to a lot of silence, a lot of meditation, a lot of contemplation. And the seminary of St. Vincent de Paul, you know, St. Vincent de Paul sets itself in Boynton Beach, Florida, Southeast Florida, beautiful banyan trees, beautiful landscape. And Bishop Toops single-handedly, along with his collaborators and staff and, and donors, absolutely renewed the campus. It's such a beautiful campus to study and prepare for the priesthood. So did you have a number of beautiful moments in contemplation and meditation on the property and just evaluating your journey? And a few sleepless nights. Oh, I could imagine. <laughs> I could imagine. I had a lot of, I had a lot going through my mind, but I was grateful to be at the seminary because yeah. it was a quiet, reflective place. Even though I still had some of the staff on campus, summertime, I tried to, I tried, I just tried to steer clear of people because <laughs> just, you've got this happening inside of you and you're yeah. some inner turmoil going, but I was having to make staffing decisions for the coming year. So the vice rector, Father Alfredo, who both of these guys know, uh, who's now the new rector of St. Vincent de Paul, uh, I had to, I had to make two hires that week. And I kept saying, but and, and of course, I, I love collaborating anyway and working with the teams that uh, I, I work with. But I kept emphasizing, now, are you, I want to make sure you are completely happy. This is not <laughs> decision alone. You have to really be, I kept emphasizing. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't want this to be like, well, Toops made this decision. <laughs> you have to be happy with all of these decisions. So it all made sense to him. After the June 9th announcement, he's like, I thought it was a little strange. You kept emphasizing, like, no, this is really important. That's great. So, so it was nice to have the, the 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 cat out of the bag on June 9th. Yeah. So real quick, Ryan, before we get into any more questions, uh, Father Rich, why don't you let everyone know about our sponsors and uh, where they can find out more about us? I'd be happy to. First and foremost, Ave Maria University has been so supportive of the Catholic Talk Show. We have a beautiful relationship with them. It is an outstanding Catholic university. Just to so know, that's the second plug in this show. <laughs> <laughs> it's regular. That means, that I have means flags they, pay, up. they pay twice this week. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds excellent. Ave, we thank you for your double generosity. And if the bishop says it, I mean, you have to, you have to comply. So we want to give a big shout out to Ave Maria University. If you know anybody searching for a great university to attend, to be nurtured in the Catholic tradition, and to be challenged academically and socially, Ave Maria University is the choice for you and the person and the people that you love. They have over 35 beautiful degrees that you could really explore. They have programs from undergrad to graduate to master's programs and all the way up to a PhD. So check out Ave Maria University today. There are phenomenal offerings. And the best thing is really the unity and the beautiful collaboration of staff, teachers with the student body. You know, some of my greatest conversations I've ever had have been around, you know, the dinner table and, and campus in the cafeteria. So check out if you're looking for community, Ave Maria is it. Another and one of our no, and no winter. Just and no winter. In, in it's case beautiful you're listening year round. Round and you're already in Minnesota and it's got 10 inches on the ground. <laughs> No winter. <laughs> That's why we do get a lot of Catholics from Wisconsin, from yeah. Minnesota, from the north, from Canada. We've got a lot of people coming from the north. It's definitely beautiful. Another beautiful program. Box. Another beautiful program that, that's out there, Exodus 90. Exodus 90 is a fantastic program for men 
who want 90 days of austerity and fraternity, really removing yourself from the world, exercising disciplines over the flesh, and really being challenged to grow in masculine virtue. There's daily reflections, and there's certainly a solidarity with over 20,000 people that have gone through this program. And it's one of the fastest growing movements in the Catholic Church. If you're a man out there listening in the show and, and you're looking to do something like that, like a really strong commitment to growing your faith and fellowship, check out Exodus 90 today. Now, the and, one, they're, Exodus, and they're ongoing programs. It's not done after night. You can keep going. That's, that's right. They have True. day 91 and you can become an Exodus man 365. This year's Exodus starts on January 4th. That's the Lent Exodus. It begins on January 4th. That's 90 days and it takes you right up to Easter. So it's a perfect preparation mm -hmm. to get more out of Lent than you ever have before. So go to Exodus90.com forward slash Catholic talk show. You can join our wait list and you can get the app for free and all the information on how to get started. Now, one more sponsor that we want to mention is scapulars.com. Scapulars.com makes the strongest, most beautiful, and most comfortable scapulars in the entire world. Um, their I, scapulars, hope, I, hope I hope your people on the show today get one. Well, if they go to scapulars.com and use the code, <laughs> if they go to scapulars.com and use the code, Talk Show 10, you get 10% off of their scapulars. Uh, they're made out of merino wool. They're almost unbreakable. They have a lot of great designs. The scapular is such an amazing devotion, attaching yourself to the Carmelites and Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Uh, don't be caught dead without them. Go to scapulars.com right now. <laughs> One of, the cool features too, one of the cool features in the scapular is that it actually has like a little pouch and you could put a Bened you know, St. Benedict medal, a miraculous medal inside. It really is. It's, it's a magnificent design. So check them out today. We call it the kangaroo scapula. <laughs> kangaroo scapula. <laughs> so, Bishop, we should have you do all of our promo videos. Yeah, we, know. Could, we could charge our sponsors more. If you more, send this me is... a free scapula, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure that I'll make sure that Steve from Scapular sends you one. Thank you, my Make sure he sends one. Because these two aren't going to do it, Ryan. Thank you. I know it's no. Bishop. It's you know you uh, you run the world's largest Catholic institution a few months back. I have to run the world's most <laughs> difficult Catholic institution, and it's these yes. two. Yes, <laughs> agreed. So now, Bishop, in. In the news, on YouTube commentators, on a lot of the, I don't know, agitators, I can't really say anything else, in the church, there's a lot of people saying, don't trust the bishops. You shouldn't trust the bishops. Um, they try to set the bishops up almost like they're congressmen, and they try to apply like this political construct to the, to the, the episcopate. And what would you say, why should Catholics trust their bishop and the bishops in general? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to always be reminded that our faith is in Jesus Christ. Period. End of story. Mm -hmm. Your faith doesn't rest in your bishop, in your parish priest, in the Holy Father, the Pope. Does it rest? Jesus I like that Christ. word. Does it rest there? You should, yeah. You'll never get rest having a good bishop or over a bad bishop over just a human bishop, you know? Or, or pastor or anything, any of those things. Yeah. So, the Holy Spirit is in charge of the church. If not for the Holy Spirit, the church would have died about the year 34 AD. <laughs> I mean, literally. You look at the first bishops, our first apostles. Uh, Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denied him three times. They all abandoned him at the foot of the cross, except mm -hmm. for John the Beloved. So, okay, yeah, 
Jesus calls imperfect men to serve his church. So that's our that's the that's the starting point. I think we have to remind people our faith is in Jesus Christ and the church he gave us 2000 years ago not in the individuals. Having said that, I mean that's always the starting point. But having said that, I I've had the privilege of of working uh, for the USCCB as a as a priest, uh, served our entire Episcopal conference for three years, uh, and that was in my early to mid thirties. I got to know uh, the human side and the divine side of the church in a, in a deeper way. You know, the church as the body of Christ is both human and divine, as as the the hypostatic nature of Jesus Himself. But I have to tell you, it was an extreme privilege to serve these men uh, who, though imperfect, are striving, like all of us, to serve Jesus, to serve the church to the best of our abilities. Uh, I was just on a Zoom call with all the bishops of the United States. Last week, we had our, our, our plenary meetings, our, our, our annual meeting, where we're all together. We're obviously not in Baltimore this year. I was sitting right here from the comfort of Beaumont, Texas. Uh, and looking at 260 bishops on 10 screens. And you know what? These are, these are all, and, and I can speak because I'm now one of them. I, 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 all my bishop jokes I have to throw out the window. It's terrible because now I'm one of them. Yeah. <laughs> the bishop says, ah, <laughs> son of a gun to me. Exactly. So uh, I, I can say that each of us, are really doing our very best to serve God. There, are, there is no one with nefarious uh, plans or desires or plots to destroy the church or to hurt individuals uh, or to allow uh, Lester to continue in ministry. There have been mistakes. There have been serious and grave mistakes, and the church has paid dearly, and so have victims paid dearly for those mistakes. However, the church learns, has learned, we know, Ecclesia Sempe Reformanda. The church is always reforming. And so our bishops are good men. We're all products of our environment, of our training, of our backgrounds. We come at, just like any priest or any of us as as faithful Catholics, you know, come at situations and, and, and decisions from different angles. But I can assure you that these men, us, we bishops, are all trying our very best to serve the Lord to the best of our ability. So why do we trust our bishops? Because we trust Jesus to guide the church. We trust the Holy Spirit, who is actually the life-giving, animating force uh, of the Holy Spirit. And when our leaders, priests, bishops, cardinals, make mistakes or sin or do grave things, it shouldn't shake our faith in Jesus Christ. The first apostles, <laughs> and you say, "Okay, Lord, you you set this up to show that you're in charge, and not us." So I hope that gives at least a little uh, context for for that kind of a question. Yeah, I mean, the first head of the church, you know, denied Jesus three times and didn't even walk with him to his crucifixion and support. You know, he was scared. And put his foot in his mouth all the time, which I take great comfort in. Yeah. So he's this rock, right? That yeah. this Petrus that, that we built the church on. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about 
um, like accountability. So, you know, in some cases, you know, as a pastor, I could see somebody, you know, they're running a, like, you know, it's kind of like a accountability with tasks and a, and a job, you know, I know this isn't a job, it's a vocation, but I think a lot of people get on islands to where they're able to kind of get sidetracked. Is there, is there any form of accountability in, in the diocese and with priests that, you know, you guys can reflect on and say, Hey, this, this is helping us do better here. Right. Because I think a lot of people now are, are, you know, in, in some of the reporting and stuff that's out there, it's, it's kind of negative. Um, but it, it looks like in some particular cases that when you don't have accountability, it doesn't serve that person well to, to begin, uh, you know, you know, nurturing a parish or a diocese or whatever. Well, I think we, we live in the era of extreme accountability, thank God. And this is a very positive thing. It's, uh, you know, even as rector of the seminary in Florida, I established uh, an outside independent investigator that uh, if seminarians ever felt threatened or, or, or in any way, shape or form, and they couldn't bring it to me as the rector, I had an outside investigator that would that would pursue whatever that allegation may be. There is always... Uh, there is always fruitfulness from transparency uh, and daylight always dispels the darkness. So again, as rector, we did that. And in fact, I've just been a part of a committee that has pushed forward, uh, if you will, five benchmarks that all seminaries should follow and that being one of them. Um, So as a diocese, I think the people of God here know that if there's something, trust me, People don't mind writing letters to the bishop. <laughs> so if there's something that I do they, not just just as a word, I do not envy your position, Bishop Toops, at all. Because yeah, if anyone's looking for a gift for the imagine. bishop, if anyone's looking for a gift for the bishop, he goes through letter openers like crazy. I can only <laughs> That's right. They, they just get they get dull all the time. So. Uh, First of all, there is accountability on the on the part of the diocese. There's uh, there's obviously a, re, a diocesan review board. There is a, a victims assistance coordinator. There's 800 numbers. There's me as the bishop that people can write to and, and express their concerns. Now, the bigger question, Ryan, that you're asking is, who's holding bishops accountable? And right. we see just in the past year wrote a document called Vos Estis that basically there had never been a way because technically. Canonically, there's only, I know this sounds crazy, and I, I, I kind of shake every time I say it. The only person I answer to technically is Pope Francis. Now, he doesn't have me on speed dial, and I don't have him on speed dial. So how does that work technically? Well, you have the papal nuncio. If, if the Holy Father was mad at me or I did something stupid, the nuncio would call me. But Vos Estes provides for the, we talked about Ryan's archbishop, the metropolitan uh, who was in Galveston, Houston, that if there were an allegation against me or somebody that had grave concerns, that that uh, investigation would be conducted by my regional superior, if you will. Even though I only answer to the Pope, uh, a, a, if you will, a regional tribunal could be set up to investigate, to say, uh, is there something credible to this? Uh, is it a bunch of hot air? Is it real? Well, we need to find out. So, the church is, we are certainly living in an era and in a time of accountability, which is always good and healthy and wholesome. We all need to be accountable to the Lord Jesus. 
We need to be accountable to each other uh, as the body of Christ. And I want the people of God to be at peace knowing that uh, their bishops are trying to live transparent lives and that they're governing their diocese. In fact, I also just brought in a group of four FBI retired investigators to review all of my files. Uh, That's great. And I'm very proud and I'm grateful for the fact a couple of bishops said, you know what, not that you don't trust your prior administration, but if anything happens from this point on, it's your fault. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm very grateful that it confirmed everything that I knew that there, there were no uh, unknown issues or problems that haven't already been addressed. So again, that's a further level of accountability. Like, hey, uh, I, I want to be an open book as a bishop and as a, as a diocese. We, we brought in four former FBI investigators. These folks were serious people. They were combing it over. Holy moly. They were, it was no joke. And, well, it sounds and like I, a lot of movement of accountability now that's starting to manifest itself in the church more widespread in a more widespread fashion. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, I'd say no, no organization has moved in such a positive way in light of what we know about sexual abuse in the last 20 years, as our understanding culturally of it has developed. But I mean, if you look at athletics or uh, no, education or any yeah. or parenting, no organization has taken more steps, more heavily invested in that because it grievously wounded the church so much that that was a necessary triage of the church. So um it's great. I mean, and bringing in FBI investigators, I've never heard that. And that's, that's, that's really um, wise, I believe. And when you, when you look at like the way that the diocese is in, in the USCCB, the bishops, the Holy Father, everybody's responded all the way back from the 2002 Dallas charter, all the way up to the present day, we have been very, very, very proactive. And I love that, that you're sharing that perspective, Sheil, because, you know, as mentioned before, the bishops are constantly criticized. The church is constantly criticized. There's one element to that that's very good. It's holding us to transparency. That's why I'm very grateful that the Holy Father and the Vatican released the documentation surrounding Cardinal McCarrick's case. It's a, it's a dense file. I encourage you to take a look at it. It sheds light. And, and it's something that Bishop Toots is saying, transparency and truth is very protective. It shields, it shields yeah. the integrity of our office. And you know, going through as a, as a young priest, um, experiencing all of these allegations and accusations and, and heartbreaking scenarios um, of, of findings where people have misused their office of, of their pastorate. And, and it is heartbreaking. We do suffer that in, in, in a particular way. But at the same time, you know, look at the look at the beauty of how many bishops are doing such great work governing this type of transparency, encouraging activities like gay. FBI detectives and investigators, and even for me on a local level, when I when I experience an accusation or if I experience personally anything that's true, I make a quick phone call to to my representatives because I need to make sure that that the integrity of the office that Holy Mother Church has affirmed in me something that I believe Christ has called me to. One of my most utmost responsibility is to protect that and to offer its stewardship. And there are people out there that assist that process. And I'm kind of grateful that we experience the attack because it purifies the process and the policies in which we're Agreed. dealing with all this stuff. Agreed. Two, two, two things. One is that, uh, you know, bishops being criticized, uh, we just have gone through a tumultuous election. 
Yeah. Uh, and I told my people, I will be an equal opportunity offender. I'm not going to tell you <laughs> who to vote for, but I am going to tell you what to do. So one side says, Bishop, tell us who to vote for. The other side says, Bishop, don't you dare tell us what to do. Well, I'm going to tell you what to do, but I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. And you know why? Number one, you're a child of God with free will. Amen. Bishops cannot impose their will. We can inform, we can inform the conscience, we can tell people what the issues are, but I can't bind somebody in conscience and tell them what to do. And secondly, you're an American citizen. I respect your rights as an American, as a free person. This is the beauty of our country. So again, uh, you're going to be criticized on either side of yeah. that aisle. Oh. Uh, that's a very, uh, I don't even consider it a tightrope anymore. I think it's just simply so clear that it's a matter of conscience must win in the end. And we were each other's conscience so much. I'm not going to bind you in conscience, tell you who to vote for as an American citizen. Like an example uh, of that whole area. And just the, 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 the issue of the McCarrick report, I think for me, uh, for those who have followed it since 2018 or have, who had heard rumors through the years, the most important thing in the McCarrick report is that in 2017, when allegations of child sexual abuse came out and were found to be credible, he was immediately removed from office, stripped of his cardinalate, stripped of his priesthood even, and, 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 put in what we call a clerical prison. I mean, you know, he was put under house arrest, essentially. The church acted, when we had actual knowledge, the church acted swiftly and decisively. Before that, for the previous 45, 50 years, or whatever that time frame was, there were innuendos and allegations, nothing substantiated. Now, should the church have done a little more to, like, investigate it? Yes. But on the Holy Father's level, if you're looking at John Paul or Benedict or Francis, all they're, they've, got not, they've got no paper in front of them saying, here's an allegation. They had, oh, well, here's a rumor that he does, you know, McCarrick was a sick man who abused his power. Nobody, there were no allegations of child sexual abuse in all those years. It was, it was an abuse of power in the way he treated seminarians and priests, just weird stuff that should have been acted on. I'm so glad that you made that point, though, Bishop Toops, because the the perspective is is that Cardinal McCarrick was a repeating offender of 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 child uh, abuse, and that's no not one the had case. ever heard that until 2017, and I can assure you of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Acted immediately on that, and we take that extremely seriously. Mm -hmm. yeah, and since the name of your church is John Paul II, I want to defend the name of Pope John Paul. I Amen. Think and and I and and I've been in the same boat, and it's like you know, imagine yourself in that type of administrative position over over the Universal Church, and you're coming from Poland, where politically speaking, people who are advancing in ranks, you know, people are sending letters of defamation on people's character because they don't want them to to succeed or or really climb up that sense it was, of administration. It was a communist trick that they would use to discredit bishops a in the Eastern Bloc. Absolutely. Bar. And, and it, like, to realize that JP2 is coming at it from the perspective of, you know, this is what I've been exposed to for most of my adult life. Correct. So, you know, he... And he, he hears from McCarrick and he says, Teddy, tell me what's going on here. Exactly. A, a holiness, I have never, ever heard anybody, abused anybody, 
abuse my power. I've known, and I, and he's known him for 40 years as mm -hmm. a bishop, and he's done a lot of good. And he wrote to the four bishops of New Jersey and said, give me any background that I need to know about. And they all said, no, he's great. He's good to go. Yeah. Do I believe an unsubstantiated allegation or do I believe the man himself who I've known for 40 years and the four bishops who've attested to it? I mean, it was the perfect storm. Mm -hmm. The perfect perpetrator. Um, but I mean, how often do you see this kind of thing that you could be married to someone for 20 years, 25, 30 years, and then all of a sudden you find out they've been having affairs or they have a secret yeah. life. And how would you ever know? Would you then accuse a wife who has been being cheated on by her husband as collaborating in that evil? Certainly not, right? She had right. been lied to. And I think that's a really important parallel is that yep. this happens. There's pathological liars who are able to use their that's, charisma to get through, word. you know? Yeah. So... Well, yeah, yeah, thanks for speaking on that. Now, I know that you're very busy, uh, as a bishop, very busy. So I have just two more quick questions for you before we wrap up. By the way, before you ask them, let me tell you this. My sister has gotten me against using the word busy. Busy means burdened under Satan's yoke. Oh. Has this sense of like, I'm too busy for people and you and don't. Mm. I like Ryan Shield. Like right. <laughs> no, it's it's really it changes your perspective. I have a beautifully full. We all have beautifully full lives. Yeah. Some mm -hmm. days fuller than others, and man, some days you think you're sinking. So anyway, that's my little sidebar. I like that. I like that a lot. Sister's catechesis. Yeah, that's that excellent. So my two questions are number one. Tell us a little bit about these two knuckleheads when they were in the seminary with you. <laughs> this is what uh, I was afraid of. Yeah, I, I want to hear. I want to hear the good and bad. And then the second <laughs> question is like the first. Does our does our dear Father Pagano? Does he have what it makes to one day uh, join you in the ranks of the bishops? <laughs> oh. Oh. Wow! I, I just want everybody. To know I've already incriminated myself by being collaborators <laughs> with you guys on the show. <laughs> I, I do. I don't know if Father or Bishop Toops knows this, but uh, I was the only one to hit a home run on, on the uh, over the fence on the on the softball field. I hit the church next door. Went over. <laughs> the church and Just, i'm sure bishop lassard was not impressed he'd be like this is ridiculous speaking of speaking of humility I, uh, <laughs> yes. I, I did have the, i yes. did have the privilege actually this is a great ryan shield you ask a great question because i think as we talk about vocations i think looking at these two men on my screen is a beautiful example of this of two success stories of going to the seminary. Yep. Uh, Ryan De La Crosse, my, my own dear father had been in the seminary as a young man. Mm. I even knew when I went into the seminary, didn't mean I had to become a priest. It was the place to discern God's call in my life. And so there's freedom to say, well, I'm going to the seminary to check this out. And I admire any young man who does that. And so in Ryan De La Crosse's case, God had another plan with his wonderful, definitely better half, Jen, <laughs> and their seven wonderful children. And, and he's so beautifully serving the church. And so Amen. I couldn't be more proud of Ryan De La Crosse over Father Richard Pagano. In my mind, they are success stories of young men who went to the seminary to discern God's will. Uh, and I am so very proud uh, of both of these men. Uh, and, you know, I think that's what seminary is all about. Some of yeah. these guys discern all the way through and to become priests. And I'm so grateful for Father Pagano's ministry and the Diocese of St. Augustine and, and beyond through 
the interweb uh, <laughs> and all that Ryan has done uh, for the glory of God as well. So uh, they both are knuckleheads, no doubt about it. Couldn't tell it's crazy how we met, though. Like we, we, we were kind of, you know, clashed in, uh, in San Diego. We haven't seen each other in years. And after, I think after a night of just talking and it's like we, we said God brought us together for something. We didn't know what it was. And it was, it's funny, the discernment of that over the last, what, well, the four years that we're, three years we're discerning it together as friends, as a pastor and seeing his character, his priestly character as a friend come out in our relationship as a layperson, and that authority that God has given him and the discernment was a, was a gift. It was, you know, looking into a mirror, you know, as a friend, but seeing something so very different how God acted in his life to, to, you know, to give him this gift of the priesthood and see him exercise that while we were discerning stuff is, is really cool. And, and that was where we, we first met uh, Delacross and I under father Tetlow, when he was the vocations director at the chancery, I was dating somebody and he just asked me on a whim, Hey, would you be willing to give a talk on being open to the vocations of the priesthood? That's where our, our conversation started. But like, just think of like vocation, like God actually actively calls people vocare to call and yeah. that he reconnected us in a beautiful way. And mutually, bro, like Delacross, I've said this about you a lot. Like you have a very real charism and ministry to minister to priests and, and just, you know, like the accommodations and the, and the, the sense of being such an open, empathic person to the journey and affirming my priestly character and that I get to do that in, in your life as, as a, you know, for you as a married man, as a father, um, is just such a gift to me. And to see the pictures of Bishop Toops uh, visiting your home. Like I, I was also like one, I, I thought it was kind of a, an important pastoral visitation, very pr- high on the priority list because of the concerns for the Delacroix house yeah. and, and to calm the chaos. But, but the, you know, the, but in truth, it's like, I also looked at it from the sense of my heart, looking at Bishop Toops and caring about him and yeah. knowing that he was going to visit you and knowing your charism and support and, and ministry to the priesthood. So and that's developed too because of my intimate knowledge of the discernment process. Yeah, correct. But, but also the friendships and the, and the life changing experience of a seminary for a young man is is it's there, right? Yeah. Um, and so I was changed there. You guys were changed there, and I understand your calling and the friendship and the camaraderie around it. It's just that I have a family. You know what I mean? Like it's just a different. Then the rest at the end of the night is just different places with different families, you know? And the beauty, Ryan, when I worked those three years in Washington, D.C. for the Bishops' Conference, Ryan was working in Washington, D.C., and we, our paths crossed early on. He was actually uh, worshiping and serving in a parish where my classmate was pastor. I actually hired Ryan to do some work for the Bishops' Conference itself self our friendship continued uh and it was really it was great how the lord the lord keeps our lives uh inter intermingled amen yeah so speaking of that uh this intermingling must continue we must have you on another show (laughs) gentlemen you have me on anytime i'd love to be with you Oh, what a blessing. Uh, you Bishop can tell Toops. I'm a little shy. I, I kind of I'm reticent. I, I kind of clam up on the screen. So, you know, if you want to draw, try to keep drawing something out of me. 
Now, if our if our listeners or our viewers on on YouTube uh, want to follow up and and continue to uh, you know enter into the ministry and the fullness of priesthood <laughs> being expressed by Bishop Toops. Bishop Toops, how can how can people sponsored uh, by the Diocese of Beaumont today? <laughs> I just want to acknowledge there's my there's my little rubber stamp. So uh, I want to say, acknowledge the third sponsor of today's. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be we'll be expecting the support in the mail soon, Bishop. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. <laughs> but I know for a fact, like you, you also are on YouTube currently. I I listen in to your homilies at the cathedral uh, yep. every time they post. When I when I come back daily mass, even uh, especially that's when I listen in the most. Is I, I finish up my mass and I put your mass on and, and listen in. So uh, you know how do people connect with you? Bishop Toops, um, if they if they would like to listen in and, and participate in a liturgy. You know, for those uh, on social media, Diocese of Beaumont, uh, I would encourage them if they're on Facebook to go there. And I have a daily 90 second. It's actually, we, we televise it every day. My, my predecessor set up this wonderful, between the 5 and the 6 a.m. news, the Bishop of Beaumont has 90 seconds of an inspirational word for the day. And then that uh, oh. airs live on TV, not live. Trust me, I don't do it <laughs> on TV. And then it's posted on our Facebook page later on, as well as uh, our daily mass, which is available all day long. That's all that's available probably for the next 50 years. But as of 6.30 a.m., our daily mass is posted as well. So you can hear a daily homily. You can hear a daily 90-second called For the Good. Uh, love to have you follow along. And, and certainly uh, we know that, as Romans 8.28 says, for those who love God... All things work together for the good. Amen. Amen. Bishop Toots, we are so grateful that you came on the show to share your charism, to share your journey. We look forward to the continued friendship Amen. and sharing in the journey with you. For our followers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, those who are on our YouTube channels, make sure that you're sharing the content, as well as if you're on YouTube right now, take a little moment, hit the subscribe button, click the bell. And when you do every type of show that we produce or any material that we put out there, an angel gets its wings. An angel gets its wings. Anytime and someone clicks the subscribe bell, an angel gets its wings. That's great. <laughs> we have to have the, all of our Christmas episodes include that. I yes. like I'll have that done. Yes. No, that's excellent. And then finally, this show would not be possible without our sponsors. So again, Ave Maria University, scapulars.com, as well as Exodus 90. And, and the Diocese of Beaumont. And, and, the, the and now the Diocese of Beaumont. of Beaumont, praise God. <laughs> and, and then I just, you know, the show wouldn't happen without our patrons. So if you're considering becoming a patron of the show, go to patreon.com forward slash the Catholic talk show. There you'll be able to see every way that you could support us. And we have some cool gear that we could share with you. And Bishop Toops, I think we're going to be sending you a Catholic talk show hoodie in the mail on top of the scapular as well. And you're going to be sending us Diocese of Beaumont stamps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is fantastic. It's <laughs> wonderful. No more writing your address on letters anymore. Uh, That's the perks Diocese of being of a bishop. I guess I have to wait. I, I mean, I, I can't, I can't enjoy that privilege as just a lowly pastor. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> uh, Bishop, to, to close us out, would you give us a little blessing and a prayer, please? Would, would love to. Loving Father, to all of our listeners, we ask your abundant blessings. As we celebrate Thanksgiving as our beautiful national holiday, fill our hearts with gratitude. 
for the gift of faith, the gift of family, even in the midst of our current trials. We also ask you to bless us as we enter into this new liturgical year and holy season of Advent. Prepare our hearts to celebrate your birth every day in our lives. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So good to see you guys. Great to see you too, Bishop. And great to connect with all of you out there. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.